How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Hello, and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 129. I am your host, Jared Dubin. And before we get into some bracket talk today, Derek Rose is out for the season. Here to discuss both of those things, the great Robert Silverman of Vocative. Bob, how are you, man? Well, I'm doing good. My, I, have not, I have not torn my meniscus, so I'm happy about that. I have not, or actually I should say, I do not currently have a torn meniscus. Uh, I tore the, both of the menisci in my left knee, uh, which gives me something in common with Derek Rose. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, Woj reported that Rose tore the meniscus in his left knee, that he'll need surgery, and that he's out for the year. Uh, of course, this report came shortly after Jeff Kornacek had addressed the media and raised the possibility that Rose could play in the next game. Um, and just a couple of days after, Rose himself said he didn't think that whatever knee injury he had was serious. That obviously is, you know, so hilariously nixy that, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, Rose is done for the year. Um, he ends the season having played in 64 games, uh, two fewer than he had played last season for the Bulls. Uh, on the surface, he actually played pretty well, uh, certainly better than he had at pretty much any point post-original knee surgery. Uh, he averaged 18 points a game on 47.1% shooting, 3.8 rebounds, 4.4 assists a night as well. Uh, 16.9 PER, his best since 2011-12. Uh, the problem is, once you go beyond the surface, uh, you see that Rose was not actually good at all. Um, 530 true shooting percentage, which is considerably below average. And, of course, he used like an inordinate number of possessions. 25.7% usage rate was second highest on the team behind Carmelo. Uh, ESPN's Real Plus Minus rated him 53rd out of 89 point guards overall, 82nd out of 89 on defense, um, 446th out of 461 on defense in the whole league. Uh, he ranked 197th out of 271 qualifying players in win shares per 48 minutes. 208th in box plus minus, 212th in value over replacement player. Uh, he obviously was a huge part of the Knicks' struggles on defense. Uh, he was not a good or willing passer. Uh, his per assist percentage ranked 35th among regular point guards. Uh, he had a, obviously a poor effect on the team's spacing. 
He did not aid in Kristaps Porzingis' development really in any meaningful way whatsoever, uh, which as the point guard on a team with a young potential superstar big man should arguably have been like his primary role. Uh, and that's just obviously the on-court stuff. There was also the civil rape trial, you know, in which even though he was found to be not liable, some really disturbing things came out about his views towards sex and women. There was the AWOL incident. There were all the unself-aware quotes about defense and passing and whatnot, and his assertion that the Knicks were a super team. And, uh, you know, it all ended in a season-ending injury. So, Bob... I, uh, I think it's fair to say that this was a really successful trade, you know, just like trades the Knicks usually make. It worked out for the best. And uh, we'll all look back on the time that Derrick Rose was on the Knicks with uh, some, some happy thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's not like the Knicks have ever traded for a name player specifically because he was a name player who had previously suffered an injury and didn't live up to that past name status. It's not like that was a consistent pattern of behavior in Dick's teams going back, uh, honestly, I'm going to say like about 40 years. So it's not like anything like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Knicks have ever done that before. I mean, it's, it's the, you know, there's a first time for everything. And who would have thought that, you know, a guy with a, a serious injury history um, would wind up missing 18 games and then, uh, you know, have to get shut down for the year with the exact same injury that he's had, you know, two or three times before. It was, it was, it was entirely unpredictable how this all worked out, and, and I think that, you know, it was obviously a worthy chance to take, because who could have possibly seen something like this coming? <laughs> who, who could have, for, I mean, you know, look, all things considered, I, I honestly, I, I foresaw a, a, a worse outcome than this for Rose. I really thought he was going to suffer a far more serious injury earlier in the year. Um, uh, and the fact that he got through as many games as he did, I think he should consider it a successful campaign for Derek Rose. Well, certainly before the, uh, before the season-ending injury, I think he probably had the season that he needed to to like make sure that he wasn't out of the league after this year. Yeah, if, if Derek Rose wants to get himself, let's say, I'm going to say like a, somewhere between a two-year... 16 to 20 million dollar contract I think he could definitely get that with like you know second year mutual player team option that kind of thing right like he's looking at basically the Rajan Rondo contract as like yes the, the, the contract for wayward former star point guards who now have something to prove contract is I think the official title for it mm-hmm. um you know, there, I think if you and I have said this before, and I think I've said it before with you. If you if you let Derrick Rose be your uh, scoring guard off the bench, I think he could still be a valuable piece. The the question there though is like, is he will like? The thing about this season is he does not seem to think of himself as that player, and he does not seem willing to accept that kind of a role. He seems to still be under the impression that he is superstar Derrick Rose, and the thing is a lot of players in the league are under that impression too, like they still think of him as a star, and yeah. it's very weird because the production is just not there, and um, I, I think you can tell that coaches don't necessarily view him that way because of the way uh, they, they talk about him that way, but they don't play him that way, if that No, I, I think a lot of times, look, seeing Derrick, some of Derrick Rose's old explosiveness come back was fun. In a very unfun Knicks season, although this was kind of more 
boringly unfun, even with all of the quote-unquote drama. This season just sort of rolled along and it happened, and, and, you know, the only thing that really got me furious all year was the Oakley drama. Um, and it's the only time I think this year I've gotten actually mad at the mix for playing badly. Um, but that said, you know, in a, in a very unfun season, Derek Rose's one-man forays to the rim were fun. It was fun to watch. Yeah, and look, uh, like, he proved that he does have an NBA skill. You know, he can get yeah. to the basket. That is yeah. a valuable NBA skill, and it was particularly valuable for the Knicks, who really didn't have anybody else who could do that. But right. and, and this goes back to something that I wrote earlier in the season. There is a difference between useful and helpful. And, um, you know, he was useful in that he had that skill, but overall he was not a helpful player because, you know, he siphoned possessions away from where they should have been going. He did not help Chris Stapps. He was, you know, maybe the single biggest problem uh, with their defense. He was not a good passer. He couldn't shoot. You know, there were a bunch of things that he did that obviously made things a lot worse, and that's why, you know, the team was not as good with him on the floor. But he had something that was very useful. Of an X's and O's breakdown of play type guy to be able to say this with 100% confidence, but it seemed to me like when that when other teams were devising strategies to beat the Knicks, not that required too much thinking. Your strategy just be just wait and you'll get an open shot at the rim or an open three pointer. But um, regarding what was you know a middle of the road Knicks offense, it seemed to me that a lot of teams were more than willing to let Derek get his as long as. That was the Knicks' only source of offense, and it didn't send the defense actually spinning. Like, it did not tilt the defense at all. They were willing to say, okay, Derek, you can do that. Keep doing that. No, 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 keep doing that. Yeah. Get your buckets. That certainly happened quite a bit. And, look, it's... I think all things considered, I may have even been, like, low on the trade for what happened. Like, I, I thought, like you, that he would play, you know, like, 50 games, maybe, and that he would be out for the year much earlier than he actually was, that his on-court play, you know, like, I, I still think, and I think the numbers prove that he was not a positive force, but I think he was better offensively just in terms of getting his own offense than I expected, uh, and still it worked out, you know, about as poorly as people that were against the trade from the jump expected, you know, like... He was not good. He got injured a couple different times and wound up being out for the year with a torn knee. And he did not help Kristaps, which, again, like, I think oh, that's the, the biggest thing. Like, And, and I'll come back to that in a second. The biggest thing is, is that, I mean, watching Kristaps this year, and this sort of slow, poor, simmering debate about did Kristaps progress this year, or was it, you know, did he sort of not, whatever. That debate is kind of silly in a lot of ways. But... Chris Epps gets so few easy shots. He, he has to work so hard to get points. Yeah. Uh, he really never, I mean, it, it, and it's gotten to the point where he's sort of given up, uh, you know, picking and popping because he just doesn't think he's going to get the ball thrown to him. Um, uh, at, at the beginning of the year, this is a thing I would sit there and, 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 you know, make a mental note of how many times Derek Rose you know, put his head down and drove while Kristaps was sitting there wide open for a wing three. 
Right, that um, was like one of the most common sights throughout the season, and it was just so frustrating to see that. Yeah, and Porzingis has stopped doing that. I mean, he's sort of lost a little confidence in his three-point shot. It's been below uh, 30% for a while now. Yeah, that, uh, some of that I, has to do with the fact that he got injured in like mid to late December and kind of hasn't been the same on that side since. Yeah, you know, he's had up and down. I mean, before we get into all uh, the question of did Chris Stapps progress, not to get too much into a TLDR, I don't, like you said, he did not have, the players on the court were not making life particularly easy for him. Um, he got a lot better at finishing around the rim. Uh, and, he's, and he's learning a series of low post moves. Um, he's shooting better even with this drop off and he's scoring better. I think his, I feel like his defensive rebounding has kind of felt fallen off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the Knicks defense doesn't create a lot of defensive rebounding opportunities, but his defense isn't as active and springy uh, as it was, largely because he knows he doesn't have Robin Lopez back to cover up for his mistakes a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, the short answer is yes, he did. But boy, did he have to work hard for all those 18 points per game. Yeah, and look, that that's sort of the biggest thing for me. And, you know, the the predictability of it all is, is so frustrating because, you know, I think it sort of worked out the, exactly the way, again, that people expected it to. And it was compounded by the fact that, you know, because they made that trade, uh, it was a quote-unquote all-in move, which motivated them to go sign Joakim Noah, which is like, you know, if the Rose thing is not the worst thing that they did this offseason, the, the Noah signing certainly is. They can, they can um, look, if they had just done this trade and said, you know what, which would have been bold, and I don't know if I would have done it, um, we're going to roll with Ernie Gomez and O'Quinn, who looked dreadful last year, to be fair, and Ernie Gomez was a complete unknown. And Chris at the five, you could say, all right, you know what? It was a failed bet, but it wasn't that bad. But, but there are no long-term consequences from it, and they shaved some salary, and fine. Right. But the, the, it's also like they... There is a very clear connection between the Rose trade and the Noah move. They are interconnected. Yeah. Like, that's... They, they doubled down. And, right. And doubled down in the worst. And, and I feel bad, because, uh, you know, I, I, I hated Jogan when he was in his prime on the Bulls. Right, but even one of those guys that... You hated because he was so good and so, like, should have been a Nick kind of player, like, oh, would have fit in like, perfectly on the 90s. Prime Joe and Kim, uh, you know, I would ride or die with, with Prime Joe and Kim if he was still able to play. Right. That would have been, you know, it, it would have been great. Now we have the guy that everyone in the league hates. Right. And he's but of course, guy. you know, everybody, like, classic Nick's fashion, they get everybody four years after it's good to have them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I mean, let's go back to Rose. Been Millstone for a while, so you know we talked about this before too. In yeah. any case, we're, we're, we're veering away. Right. To go back to the Rose, the, the most frustrating thing is like this was such a big year for Kristaps' development. Like the second year is when guys should be taking a big leap. Like you don't want them to have that sophomore slump, and, and I don't think Kristaps had a sophomore slump. I think you know he played you know about as well as could be expected given the team context. But if, if they had someone who was really invested in making Kristaps better and getting him the ball in the right spots and getting him the ball at all and, like, and, and invested in like playing defense, he could have had a much better season. And it's just disappointing that he wound up with a point guard whose his, his, his skill set more, like, 
Rose benefited way more from Chris Stapps than Chris Stapps did from Rose. Like, oh, sure. why did he have so much space to get to the basket? Maybe because he had a seven foot three power forward center who has to be guarded thirty feet from the basket. Like, that's why Derrick Rose was able to get to the basket so much easier this year than he was when he was playing with Joakim Noah and Taj Gibson. You know, look, and, yeah, and I don't think look at the way look at the way that, that I don't know if you, uh, I, I I was watching the Celtics Knicks game on a, on a Sunday afternoon because um, I'm uh, either a glutton for punishment or, or a miserable garbage human who has no life. But you know, take your pick. Not mutually um, exclusive. Yeah, not mutually exclusive. And I was watching it, and 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 Horford. You know, aside from the, you know, the Jake Crowder ties, Horford might be perfectly constituted to stick with and drive Chris Stapps nuts. Um, he's fast enough to be able to keep him, you know, on the perimeter, and a smart and strong enough defender with really, really, really pretty. Watching his footwork on defense is kind of pretty. Um, to be able to really just keep him from getting anything going, and the Knicks were never, or they never figure out a way to try to move Horford off Chris Stapps or, you know, run him through some screens or run a pick and roll or do something to get him the ball in a better situation where he could score over a very good defender. Um, and, and yet, he's still, you know, in a, in a blowout loss, he still managed to go 6 for 10. Yeah, it's, look, it's, oh, it's, it's just frustrating. And also, like, it's, he was the not... thing that I want to know, and, and we will never, ever know this, I want to know what went wrong with the Rose Ruby of trade. I want to know who put the kibosh on that. Yeah, I mean, look, I something I said the day after uh, the deadline when I did the podcast with Ian Begley, I, I think that uh, Eric Freeman, who was writing this at Ball Don't Lie, had it on the money, which is basically that these two teams started talking about a deal and it wasn't like a great slam dunk kind of thing really for either team. It wasn't best case scenario, like you have to do this right now. It was just like, yeah, why not? And neither team really wanted to do it and they just kind of talked themselves into a corner until they both figured out a way to back out in the end. That's sort of what I think happened. That's, that's certainly. I mean, there's a lot of spin afterwards. This is always the case when a you know a very heavily rumored trade doesn't go through, with both sides being like, no, 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 no. We were the ones who. They, 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 it was their fault, and then there's a lot of finger pointing and like, well, you know, we're just an appeal, but they were asked, both sides are playing that the other side was asking too much, you know, tango, and and it was. It, there's a very sort of New York. Uh, or anti, like my, my my normal sense when Phil Jackson's involved with the transaction is just to be like, Phil, did you dump this up somehow? <laughs> um, and it seems very well. I mean, because the thing made no sense. I really, really wanted Ricky Rubio. I was very excited to see Ricky Rubio as a Nick. I thought, you know, even if it doesn't work out, at worst, he will be super fun. Um, and considering the possibly small sample size uptick in shooting that he's had over the last 20-odd games. Boy, that would have been nice to have because there's no way you're getting a point guard at Ricky Rubio's, uh, Ricky Rubio's ability at that contract level in free agency next year right. or the draft, really. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't as um, overwhelmingly in favor of the trade as some other people. Um, I, I thought it would have been a good deal. Like I said a few times, like anything you get of value for you know, the last couple months of Rose's expiring contract would have been good. Um, but I wasn't like, 
you know, freaking out about how amazing it would have been. Like, I think Rubio is a pretty good player, but there are also some pretty, um, you know, clear drawbacks to having him as your starting point guard and the guy who's running your offense. You know, we've seen some of that with Minnesota um, this year and throughout his career. Obviously, he's played, you know, super well since the break, and that's, you know, makes the Knicks look even dumber. But, you know, that's that's not all that out of the ordinary, first of all. <laughs> and, and second of all, it's like, you know, 15, 17 games, whatever it is. Um, I'm pretty sure I trust the first, you know, three and a half, four years of Rubio's career in terms of his shooting performance more than I do this recent stretch. Um, he's a six-year vet, I think. He's been around forever. He might even be a seven-year vet. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Ricky Rubio is now, which is, is, is very surprising to me and, and yet shouldn't be. Well, he was the same draft as Steph Curry, which was 2009, yeah. and he didn't come over for two years, so 2011... 11, 12, yeah, 13, 13, 13, 13, 14, 14, 14, 15, 15, 16. I think this is his sixth year. That would be yeah. um, 16, 17, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but anyway. Um, anyway. Um, the, the other thing about Rose, though, is like, it sucked having him on the team. Like, for, right from the beginning, like, you knew when they dealt for him that he was going to be involved in this trial. And the trial happened, and look, he was found not liable based on, you know, the evidence that was there, basically like 51, 49, um, or, or more. You know, it could have been they thought it was like 70, 30 that uh, he should not be liable, but that's what happened. But in, the in details... In my following of the in, trial, and that I wasn't there, it, was, it, it ended up boiling down to two different people giving two very different descriptions of the events that night, and uh, which side the jury found more credible, and, you know, it's... There was no, there seemed to be very little hard evidence pointing towards either version one way or another. Right. And C- certainly, I think she did not prove her case. Um, no. But that, that's, you know, we obviously don't know. But either way, like, there was just a bunch of disturbing stuff that came out in there. Like, I covered the trial extensively on the podcast, um, you know, through a bunch of podcasts, uh, through a bunch of pods early in the season. And it was, you know, it was not great. And then you have to come root for that guy who said, again, like you can go back and listen to those podcasts, said a lot of stuff that was, and did a lot of stuff that was, you know, and um, and then just basically like everything he said throughout the season. He's one of the least self-aware players that I can ever he, remember being on the Knicks. He really is. I, I remember way back thinking through Melo's first couple of years that Melo's biggest problem was that he had this weird tendency to blur out whatever he was actually thinking. And it ended up getting him in weird kinds of trouble. Um, for example, one of the more notable examples being when he, you know, during the 2012 offseason, when he said, you know, the, the contract offer that the Rockets made to win was ridiculous, which I think he actually thinks that. I think there probably were a lot of players, both on the Knicks and throughout the league, who think that. Well, he wasn't, the, he wasn't the only Nick that said that. You know, J.R. Yeah, Smith, J. R. Smith, Smith said, the said it as well. Right. And now, Granted, um, and, and, and it was, it was just, there were so many moments like that where Mello would say what he's actually thinking, and just it would, it, it, even if it wasn't necessarily painting him in a bad light, just wanted to be like, dude, no, 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 no Mello, 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 just really, there's a, there's a, there's the, the, the Bull Durham Nucleus Quisha handbook could really be your friend right now. Right. Um, it was interesting and, because at that time, and, and, like, he was the, the one saying a lot of weird, dumb stuff, 
and Amari yeah. was like saying all of the right stuff, and then as like Amari got uh, injured and stopped playing, he was the one saying you know a bunch of weird stuff and everything was phenomenal and whatnot. And Carmelo, like very much um, like A Rod, has sort of learned you know what to say and when, and now is much he more. To be tactically honest. Yeah. He has figured out when he can unpack his true feelings. It's just a god. There's this profile in ESPN, the magazine, in I think it came out in, like right for the All Star break in 2014. That was the where, one where Carmelo said that he was the one, the the NBA guy that originated the love of timepieces. Yes, it was, it was a real. It, that interview was was so. There was so much low key shade thrown throughout that entire profile, and. I think there was a way in which Melo could have come across as, as very earnest about these things he, he believes and, and these business ventures could have been framed um, to be, you know, a net positive, but it just made him look kind of clueless and self-involved and, 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 and... Yeah, and he was talking silly. about, like, a real estate mobile work and, you know, like, it was weird. But Melo's figured this out. Melo's figured out, yeah. like... Look, I'm going to go to the favelas in Rio, and I will take a reporter, and I will say real things. When it comes to police brutality, I will actually figure out what I want to say here and say it. And you know, to Mello's benefit, he's, he, I, 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 and there, I've always said this, even when he was saying things that unnecessarily, you know, created a bit of a media hubbub for a day or so. There, I, I think Mello Carmelo Anthony is a fascinating, interesting person um, in a lot of ways. Um, and and but we've gotten way off track. In other case. Needless to say, Derek Rose is the person who is taking up the mantle of Nick, who says something where you just want to go to shut up. Not right. now, not now, no, no. Like the, and the, this the is quote. something that Bulls fans talked about when he was there. Like, there was a whole thing, like, Derek Rose says stuff. And, like, yeah, Derek Rose says stuff. Like, that dude, oh, man. And Derek Rose, you know. I wrote about this. I, I wrote something when the when the charges, uh, the civil case first came out um, in in 2014. I, I, I wrote something. Sorry, uh, you know, or sorry, 2015 when I wrote about. Did this come out? 2016. I'm getting to be one of those people who can't remember things. Gosh darn it! In any case, I wrote something for the Daily Beast about this, and I wrote about what Derek Rose has done in terms of working to try to deal with the violence in Chicago. And he's done a lot of incredibly selfless things. He went to the funeral of, of one kid, of a family of a kid who got shot, and did everything in his power to make sure that the press didn't show up. Because he didn't want it to be a press event, and he didn't want to bring attention to himself. He just wanted to be there for the family, and it was an incredibly noble, selfless thing. And he does these things that you know are genuinely worthy of respect. And he's done some things that are not <laughs> worthy of yeah. respect at all. It's, it's also just, like, I'm talking like, about the, the self-awareness, you know, like, in terms of basketball, too. Like, he'd be the guy, like, every single night. And, like, look, he was right. You know, defense is a significantly bigger problem for the Knicks than offense is. But he, he comes out there and talks about how they need to work hard on defense. Like, he's not going out there running into every single screen that he faces every night. It's like... No, Derek. Derek Rose has had some had some Stoudemire slash Bargnani like moments where he's sort of standing around and trying to figure out one who he should be guarding and two if it's really worth the effort at that point. Yeah. Um, it was just, and he did, oh, look, overall, just the experience of having him on the team was about as unpleasant as any Nick that I can remember. Yeah, it was not fun. It was just kind of 
and I wonder where, you know, you mentioned this before. Uh, I don't know, speaking of the Rondo contract, Rayshon Rondo definitely believes he can still be an all-star point guard. Um, I don't know if Derek, like Derek Rose is ready to go take the Spurs cure-all, for example. Um, and, and, and this was being talked about on the fine website, twitter.com where some wise basketball heads were, were musing about, hey, what if Derrick Rose became the Spurs scoring guard off the bench for a team with defensive chops to hide whatever liabilities he has or hide them a little bit in a sort of Tony Parker-ish fashion? Couldn't he be really good there? Well, yeah, and look, I don't think by any stretch that he's done in the league. Like I saw people saying that on no. Twitter yesterday. Like, he's in his late 20s, uh, meniscus removal is only like a six to eight week recovery time frame. He's going to be, you know, ostensibly healthy in time for free agency. Um, I, I think he's probably done as like an actively positive and useful player on a night-to-night basis, but that was probably true already. And there's I mean, still going to be teams that are going to There are many starting point cards in the NBA who I think, like aside from the Knicks, who I think Derrick Rose could clearly beat them out for a job. I don't know if there are really all like any like who which starting point guard is he definitively a more useful two way player then? Uh, someone was talking about this, and I think they mentioned the Bucks, and I was like, the Bucks are fine. Giannis is a point monster. I would I would also way rather have guard. Malcolm Brogdon than Derrick Rose. Yeah, I'd rather have Delhi than Derrick Rose, honestly. Um, not that he's better, but in that situation, the things that he brings to the table are more valuable to the Bucks. Okay, calm down. I cannot just say that Delhi is better than Rose, although you, someone might make the argument. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a starting spot for him in the NBA. There's an incredible glut of talented, skilled point guards out there. Right, and why would you want to pay him when he supposedly wants to be paid when you could, you know, get Yogi Ferrell's for, you yeah. know, $1.2 million a year? And even less before he wound up playing well. Um, plus, it's you know, there's a lot of free agent point guards this summer. There's something like 15 potential free agent starting point guards. And then I, I read that from Kevin Pelton today. Um, and you know, plus the guys in the draft as well. Like, there's just way too many no, options. I, 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 I think, think be... unless barring something unexpected happening, Derek Rose's days as a starter for now are no more. Could he resurface somewhere else? Yeah, I mean... Well, barring the Kings, Kings in, because who the Yeah, the Kings could very well Kings the crap out of this. I could go on, and, like, Vladi, who knows what Vladi's going to do. God bless him. Yeah. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Um, anyway. Let's anyway, go. let's move on to the bracket because yeah. Derek Rose needs to be so, a little sad. Derek Rose, not in the bracket, uh, received a bunch of complaints about that, but, you know, it's my bracket, so that's... Um, there's a one-man selection committee. And, uh, anyway, I know you have questions, concerns, comments. The voting, by the way, has already started. Uh, Isaiah Thomas region, uh, first-round matchups. There are polls up on the Locked On Knicks Twitter account. 
feel free to vote. The voting closes for those uh, tomorrow at noon Eastern, uh, after which point the, uh, the polls for the Kurt Rambis region will go up and the, uh, the results for the Isaiah Thomas region will be read uh, on tomorrow's podcast. But, Bob, I know, so at this point we're still well, my in... my first um, question is, what is Ronaldo Balkman doing there? I had this discussion How with... How could you possibly say that Ronaldo Balkman is one of the 64 worst Knicks of the last 15 years? Uh, because he was, and it's sort of inarguable. I had this discussion with Seth last week. He was like, I don't, I don't get sad when I think about Ronaldo Balkman. And I said, you know, I understand that it is the bracket of sadness, but it's one podcast quest to find the worst Knicks since the year 2000, which means that it's not about how sad they make you, it's about how bad they were. And Ronaldo Balkman yeah, was this, bad. Look, this is a two-man race. It's between Eddie Curry and Barks, and that's... See, I don't, I don't think it is, because first of all, they're on the same side of the bracket. Which is a mistake. It's not, because point. I'll tell you why. So, first of all, the, the one seeds are Eddie Curry, Andrea Bargnani, uh, Jerome James, and Mike Sweetney. And they are seated that way because Curry and Bargnani were both acquired in trades, whereas Jerome James was a free agent and Mike Sweetney was a draft pick. So I wanted to and trade... Mike Sweetney could have been really good if he wasn't misused by the Knicks uh, brain trust at that time. My I, man, he, he I, ate I himself out of the league. What are you? He ate himself out of the league. Come on. But not as a Nick. I mean, he was not terrible. He, he was, was a valuable player for one year in Chicago after the Knicks made the disastrous Eddie Curry trade. He, he and then bad. he ate himself out of the league. Also, like, I don't think it's a one-man race also because I think there is a sleeper lurking in the bracket. And I said oh. this to Seth on Friday. Frank Williams. Oh, Frank Williams was perfectly fine. What? He was. He had that nice 10-game run right before the next trade from Marbury. Dude, he was, he was out of the league within... Two and a half years. He shot something like 23% and, and like 12% from three. He was terrible. He was a roly-poly Frodo Ray Felton. Yeah, that's not good. That's bad. Also, Jared Jeffries. Why is Jared Jeffries there? Lovable Jared Jeffries. Look, you got to find 64 guys. Yeah, that's true. There's also, a lot of guys. In, in Jared Jeffries' first stint with the Knicks... He was actively horrible. His second straight with, you know, Lynn Sanity, he was one of the guys that, that benefited a lot from, from Jeremy Lynn when he was, like, playing power forward. Sort of like, uh, you know, homeless man's, like, the guy the homeless man pities version of, like, you know, a playmaking four kind of player. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, he's a strange brand of player who... Right, were Jared Jeffries still in the league and not having his own fishing show, which is cool? He fits much better in today's NBA than he did when he played. Yes, he would. Although you'd have to develop a corner three. Yeah, you could. You could not have. I, I have trouble finishing at the rim, and really, everyone kind of holds their breath when I shoot from fifteen feet out. Jared Jeffries in the NBA right now, yeah. but, but he's a good a, defender a, who was like very switchy and a playmaker. Yeah. Also, like he could pass. Yes, he could. Yes, he could. As a switchy, like, wing slash power forward, he would be very valuable. He could be a good, he could be, he could be a rotation player. Yeah. But, like, so, back to, to Frank Williams. I think he has a good draw. First of all, he faces Chris Smith in the first round. That's a good draw. He's going to win that matchup, I think, pretty easily. Then he faces the Marty Collins-Jackie Butler winner. 
I like Jackie Butler. You see, now you're getting... My problem with this bracket, they're all guys who were terrible, but I kind of like them. Like, I always liked Jackie Butler. And he took him a whole season in that terrible Larry Brown year for for Larry to kind of realize, well, Jackie Butler's kind of better than this, uh, than than Eddie Curry. And it took, you know, it, it was a very weird year, granted. But Jackie Butler was effective in limited minutes, and then he went to the Spurs and kind of disappeared. I would not say he was all that effective, and but what are you going to do? Anyway, like I said, uh, I, I think Frank Williams is a good draw, and um, I think there's a, there's more so, like I don't even think it's a. Sh- I mean, it probably is a sure thing. Like Bargnani's, I would say ninety nine point nine percent going to get out of his region. Steve Francis is in that region too, and that dude was horrible with the Knicks. Oh, uh, the Steve Francis Knicks thing. Oh God, there was a Simmons column from that, that at that point. And, there and, was a, and, there was two mailbags about yeah. all Knicks fans about the Steve Francis trade. I actually made both of them. I sent two emails when I was a freshman in college about that nonsense trade, and they both got in. <laughs> Congratulations! One of the answers was like it was about this strange desire to pair Steve Francis with Stephon Marbury and. Uh, Jamal Crawford, all of whom were different flavors, more or less, of the same dude. Um, and it was, it was I, think, I think the Simmons analogy at that point was, it's like buying a $2,000 sectional, and you really like it. And then you see another sectional sofa that's on sale for $800, and you think, well, that's an incredible bargain, I'll buy that. And now your living room is dunked up with two giant sectional sofas, and nobody knows what to do, or it keeps tripping over the furniture. If I remember correctly, was the analogy that he made. That definitely sounds like a Simmonsy analogy. It um, is, and it sounds like someone who's been buying furniture and, and dealt with that kind of stress. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to uh, to go back and find that mailbag, and it's so long ago. I think it's probably not possible. But right. Well, it was. It was. Look, yes, Steve Francis is pretty terrible, but I think you. How many voters are you going to have who really remember? the Steve Francis Knicks era. That was a that was a while ago, dude. And we're the I mean a lot of these guys were a while ago. Eddie Curry was a while ago. Yeah, but Eddie Curry it wasn't just look, Steve Francis had a crappy couple of years with the Knicks and then, you know, drifted out of the NBA. But the Eddie Curry awfulness is part of Knicks lore. Like that that trade By the way they, they traded they traded Trevor Ariza in the Steve Francis trade. Like one of it was the, a terrible trade. One of like no the two good draft terrible, picks the Knicks have had since I've been one of like the two good draft picks the Knicks have had since I've been alive, and they trade him for Steve Francis. David Lee was a good draft pick. Yeah, I said two. Okay, wait. And Chris Dapps, that's three. Uh, three, fine. They made three good draft picks. Well, Mark Jackson too, but I was two, and, and he was Mark Jackson. And, he was and, off the team and before Ron I was Strickland four. was drafted when you were alive. And and I, Charlie Ward was a serviceable point guard. Picked at the end of the first round. He lasted ten years in the league. Listen, there are more than two. Listen, bye. did you see Charlie Ward during the broadcast yesterday? I saw. I, saw, I was at the game, so I didn't see him on the broadcast. But Seth tweeted out a picture, and he was like, "Charlie yeah. Ward looks like he's 12. And I think that Charlie, might have been high. He looks like he's like ten. Charlie Ward, I think, is on the Peter Thiel. I am cultivating the the fresh blood of the youth to remain alive forever. He's, I, I tweeted out a list a few months ago of people who are like clearly Benjamin Buttoning, like they're getting much better looking yeah. at age. I think Charlie yeah. Ward is on that list. Charlie Ward actually, fun story, um, about 
world. Years ago, I was I was uh, I was working on a play uh, that was uh, written and directed. Hold on, by, but before you keep going, why did you not write a part for me in that play? I didn't know you when you were in college at, at the U. You were busy. I oh, did yes. not write this play. I was working on a play that someone else wrote. I did write a play though uh, about uh, uh, about a Japanese agoraphobe. It's set in Japan, um, and for some reason, I felt the need to call the, the lead character Mrs. Sweetney after Michael Sweetney. True story. <laughs> that's a that's a deep eye roll for Mike Sweetney. That is classic. And, and plus, I thought the name Sweetney was cool, so I used. It. In any case, I was working on a play with this playwright from Austin, and through a friend of a friend of a friend, he knows Charlie Ward. So Charlie Ward came to see the play. And afterwards, I said hello, and you know, I said I was an fan, and blah blah blah. I made two seconds worth of small talk with Charlie Ward. But Charlie Ward is not six one. I have stood next to and shaken the hand of Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward is like five eleven tops. I can't uh, say Charlie I've been Ward near. Charlie Ward and I were staring eye to eye, and I'm five nine, maybe five ten, if I wear the right, you know, average elevator heels. Yeah, I can't say I've been near him since. Since I've been like I haven't been near him since I was a kid, so I don't. My perception of his height is skewed because you know I thought he was super tall when I was like ten years old. But they were all very tall. If I was next to him now, like if I was taller than him, I'd be like, okay, he's definitely not six one because I'm six foot. And if I'm taller than him, for all the NBA height shooters, maybe six one. He might be the same height as you. Alan Alan Iverson, zero percent chance that dude is six feet tall. Zero. I I I I actually was was. I have an Alan Iverson story. There was a, a documentary about his life that ran at the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, again, three years ago. God, I don't remember time. I believe it was in 2014. I went to go see it to see if there was an article to be written, and it didn't turn out there really was. But he was on the red carpet. And this was uh, right as the Donald Sterling fiasco was exploding. Um, and I, I, I lobbed what I thought was a softball to Allen Iverson. I was like, how do you feel? Uh, what, I said something like, how do you think the NBA is going to handle the Sterling thing? Um, do you know? And, and like, he shoots me this death stare. And it was as he suddenly, and, and, and as he shoots to me, we're, you know, we're eye to eye. And he's, he's a 5'9", five, 5'10", five, dude. And as he looks at me, I swear by all, the, I, I swear on whatever thing that I value is sacred that you want me to swear on, the dude grew. <laughs> and as he was staring me down, suddenly he was a good three to four inches taller. And he was like... That'll happen. He was like... He, and, he, and, I, and, and at that point, I, I just sort of like backed away. And I, I don't know, I really, I thought it was a softball question. I thought it was, hey man, you want to rail on Donald Sterling, noted racist? Yeah, I mean, but it, it was not the question he wanted to, to answer right before the documentary. And so, but in any case, so as far as how tall Alan Iverson is, yes, he is 5'10", five, 5'9", five, but when he's mad, he gets taller. So that 6'1 is totally legit. That's, that Sterling time was so weird. I went to a, a Nets game that night. Uh, during the playoffs, obviously, and uh, Michael K. Williams was randomly like doing their pre their pregame introductions, like announcing them over the PA, and literally he just walks out, and he walks out and he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, 
there is no place in the NBA for Donald Sterling. And then he starts doing the Nets pregame intros. It was so weird. Like, I can't imagine that the Nets were like... Intros. Yeah, and like, I mean, first of all, it's Omar. Who the fuck is going to argue with him? <laughs> so, yeah. Like, also, like, yeah, he was right. There's no place in the NBA for Donald Sterling. But, yeah. Anyway, we got the bracket anyway, going on. The bracket. Got the bracket um, going on through the rest of the week. Isaiah Thomas region voting still open. There are a couple of upsets in the works right now uh, with lower seeds in the lead. Um, Go on. Uh, Eric Strickland leading Zach Randolph. Quincy AC. Yes, I, I voted in that one. I voted for Eric Strickland. Quincy AC leading Quentin Richardson. Rick Brunson that. leading Stefan Marbury. Sam Dallenbear leading Maurice Taylor. All right, that's that's the other thing I have beef about. Stefan. What being in the bracket? Yes. Look, I I said this on the podcast with Seth last week. Also, yes, he was good for a bunch of his time with the Knicks. But when you get Madison Square Garden sued for $11.3 million for sexual harassment, and, like, the most notable thing about your tenure with the team is that you told a girl to get into the back of your truck, and then you wound up eating Vaseline on a live stream within, like, a year and a half, you are in the worst Knicks bracket. Like, that's just, it's a rule. He did not get, he did not get the Knicks suit. I mean, he certainly helped. No. He asked a Knicks employee to come into the back of his truck so he could, like, you know, do things to her. Yes, that was that was that was pretty pretty execrable behavior. But if not for Isaiah Thomas, it's not like the intern was bringing a massive sexual harassment against the Knicks. So you could argue that she'd have a case, counselor. But let's be clear about who got Madison Square Garden sued. Um, in any case, either way, I I, I maintain the that. Thing was cool. The fascinating thing was, was, was undoubtedly cool. That it was, was not. The, the entire 24-hour live stream it was, was not. weird it was as weird hell, and sad. I entirely support that. It was weird and sad. Anyway, he's, he's in the bracket, but it doesn't look like he's going to be in it for long. Cause he's, because uh, Marbury was... Marbury was Marks, and I, 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 I have much... I, I think Marbury is another one. Well, now there's, speaking of a, a card that would be much better suited to playing today, Stephon Marbury, at his peak playing today would be putting up some very, uh, I'm going to say, uh, uh, Damon Lillard-esque numbers. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to shoot as well as Dame, but boy, would would nobody be able to stop him from getting to the rim. He would certainly shoot just as much. Uh, We know that. (laughs) Anyway, this this has run about 45 minutes now. A bunch of Derrick Rose, a bunch of the bracket. Like I said, voting for the Isaiah Thomas region still open until tomorrow at noon at which point the Kurt Rambis region will open. That region features, among others, Andrea Bargnani, Keith Van Horn, Penny Hardaway, Vin Baker, Baron Davis, Larry Hughes, Mike Bibby, Steve Francis. Uh, like I said, we're going to do the voting throughout the rest of the week. Isaiah, Isaiah today, Rambis tomorrow, Larry Brown the next day, and Herb Williams after that. Next week we go into the second round, Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final 4, and the finals. And that will bring us through the end of the regular season, at which point we will then move into draft talk, which I know is pretty much what everybody wants to hear about at this point anyway. Um, Bob, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Do your plugs before I let you go. Uh, uh, Plugs. Um, 
No, nothing, nothing imminent, but I've got some cool stories on the way. You can always read me uh, at rocketive.com, and you can check me out on the twitter.com machine where I'll shamelessly plug all my own stuff, at Bob Sayetta, B-O-B-S-A-I-E-T-T-A, and I'll have some fire takes there. Excellent. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You can find the podcast on Twitter, at LockedOnNicks, me at jadubin 5 Feel free to reach out if you've got any you know, thoughts, concerns, questions, anything about the podcast, about the bracket, LockedOnNicks at gmail.com. And we'll be back with another show tomorrow. Enjoy.